Well, I think it just reminded us that not everyone's the right fit. I think Josh and I are both competitive guys. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of the people in the startup space are competitive. They want to win. They want everyone to love your product, um, especially if it's something you know we put at that point a year and a half already into, and it just got the, the sharks didn't like it. And mm-hmm. I think it just reminds you it's it's not the right fit for everyone. Like everyone's not going to love what you're doing. Um, and that's that's fine. Like you're gonna continue to improve, especially as you're getting going. You're gonna get a lot of negative feedback. This negative feedback just happened to get seen by three million people. <laughs> uh, but like, what are you gonna do? Like, it's, right. it just reminds you to, to stay focused on what you're doing. Remember why you're doing it. Remember the end goal. And there are gonna be bumps in the road, and you can you know, turn around, or you can just keep going and keep barreling forward, and uh, just spin it positively. Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst turned performance coach to founder CEOs and avid Brazilian jiu-jitsu and obstacle course race athlete. This podcast will feature conversations with uniquely driven and authentic individuals across sports, business, and wellness who continue to achieve great things in their respective fields. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Manny Lubin. Manny is the co-founder of Slate Milk, a lower sugar, higher protein, lactose-free chocolate milk company. After years of waiting for a healthier, but still great tasting chocolate milk to hit the market, Slate founders Manny Lubin and Josh, Josh Belinsky decided to take action on the idea to revolutionize chocolate milk. Since launching the Kickstarter campaign for the company last year, in which they more than 5x their goal and raised over $50,000, Slate Milk has now sold in over 400 locations with three flavors to choose from, dark chocolate, classic, and espresso. What's also cool is that there is no refrigeration required for their products. And if you're a fan of the show Shark Tank, you may have seen them on the show earlier this year. Slate isn't Manny's first entrepreneurial venture, however. In 2016, he co-founded Repper, a technology platform that connects brands with college student ambassadors throughout the country. In this interview, we discuss the Shark Tank experience, challenges facing the company during the COVID-19 environment, Manny's background pre-Slate, and all things Slate and chocolate milk. And so, without further ado, my interview with Manny Lubin. You know, I know you've been really busy recently, so I really appreciate you carving out the time to, to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And um, before I forget, so do you know Jack McNamara? Yeah, Jack's yeah. event. Well, so like I met Jack, maybe Jack. I don't know. It's got to just be from Boston, beverages and food stuff. Um, and I think we have a lot of, like he's a local guy. Like I grew up in Wellesley. Um, so okay. I went to Northeastern. So like I think we have a couple of mutual contacts even outside of, of business. And yeah, okay. Jack's the man. Yeah, that's awesome. I had him on the podcast earlier, as you know, so. It's great to get another, another uh, entrepreneur in the beverage industry on. Yeah, man. Good stuff. So what are some of the, I guess, specifically the biggest challenges for you in running a business in the current environment? Uh, so in regards to COVID? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think it's just difficult because a lot of being an entrepreneur or just starting anything is people feeling your energy and your passion, being in the room with someone right? Is you're trying to create something that is either different or does you think doesn't exist or it's, you know, it's it's an extension of something else. And for someone to really understand that and feel that um, it's much easier to do it in person. Right. So I think that the fact that there are no in-person meetings, um, while it saves us travel time and dollars, it, it definitely, you know, we've been successful with, with getting new retailers on board and whatnot, but um, I just think it uh, it's prohibited us from growing as quickly as we'd like. Um, we still have pretty aggressive year one growth goals, uh, but just the fact that we're, you know, we have to stay in, in our apartments and even as a team, we can't be all together to collaborate. It just makes, um, it makes everything a little bit more difficult, um, but we've really, you know, for the past couple of months, pivoted a lot of our, at least a small part of our energy um, into e-commerce and, and really just leveraged what the world has given us. Right. Yeah. And I can imagine, especially 
I mean, business is all about relationships anyway, but I think especially for startup entrepreneurs, it's probably very, it takes on a whole new level of importance, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's all about, you're getting people to believe in the dream. You know, we obviously have data proving that people love our products. We've got a lot of customers behind us that love our products, but um, I mean, to convince the best way for us to convince a retailer to convince a partner to, to join what we're doing is to look them in the eyes and tell them our story and our vision um, and then show them the data. And the fact that we can't do that, I think you, know, you could feel it through the, the uh, computer screen and through the phone sometimes, but it's much, <laughs> again, it's, there's, it's much more powerful in person. Right. Right. I've heard a lot of, from people too, though, that this time and this pandemic has created a lot more space for, for people to, kind of take a step back and kind of be more, I don't know, creative, or maybe there've been some sort of sparks of inspiration or creativity. Have you found that for you kind of during this time, like any sorts of sources of inspiration that have come out of this current pandemic situation? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, it reminds us that we are built for grocery. Our team, almost our entire advisory investment team um, is, has a grocery background and, and that's how we're built and that's how we will build the business. But I think it really does remind us that there is an opportunity on e-commerce. Um, shipping beverages is heavy. You know, it's not cheap. Um, but if you do it correctly, if you're always testing you know, different ways to acquire customers, um, making sure you're optimizing the experience for the customer, whether that's you know, enhancing the brand experience when they open it, um, taking care of customer service right away and, and being diligent with how you handle the, the emails. Um, I think it made us realize that our e-commerce business can be a significant part of our business, even though it's not going to be necessarily the heartbeat and the heart and soul, um, right. which is my side of the business. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of exciting to see the success we've had online um, in the past couple of months. But again, we, uh, I think overall, it just, um, it reminded us there is an opportunity, but um, you know, we're just more or less business as usual. Right. Right. Awesome. So before we get into kind of your background and the genesis of, of Slate Milk, I want to touch on uh, your Shark Tank episode. Yeah. Um, so first of all, congrats. Um, I know you didn't get a deal done, but I know it's a big deal in terms of like exposure and marketing and all of that. So first off, congrats. So walk me through kind of what that experience, whole experience was like for you. I mean, it was nuts. Like, <laughs> I, I thought playing a high school football game in front of 5,000 people on Thanksgiving was, was nerve wracking, but that was, uh, that was quite the experience. It was, it was really out of body. Like you've seen it on TV. You don't like, you never really put yourself in those shoes. Like what is going through the entrepreneur's head? You just kind of listen, watch, it's just entertainment, but then actually experiencing it. Um, like it literally like part of it, I, I think I said this before, I literally felt like I was like floating, like watching myself and Josh. And I think we both kind of felt the same way. It's just like an out of body experience. Right. It was all instinct and adrenaline. You know, we were prepared. Um, we, we knew the situation going in. If, if you've seen the episode, we were expecting some of the things that happened to happen. Um, but no, it was, it was an awesome experience. And, you know, what Josh and I wanted to make sure when we decided to go on the show is, is it what's best for the business? Like personal aside, like obviously it's something we, we've always wanted to do as entrepreneurs, but um, is it what's best for the business? And, and after weighing the pros and cons, we decided it was. And I think it's clear that um, overall, the experience has benefited the business. The fact that the episode uh, aired has benefited the business. And uh, I think it's shown a lot of people the progress we've made. So the episode was shot in summer of 2019 and it aired nearly a year later oh wow so, yeah so when we went out there we didn't even have a product that uh you know the, the product has since been improved um so with the sharks tried never actually made it to the market uh, we weren't allowed to talk about any of our retail partners at the time because we just weren't far, far enough along in the relationship uh, it was a personal decision we made um and yeah we've come a long way uh, that was about, so we, we shot the episode in summer and then we launched actually in early November. So uh, it was a couple months before launch that we even went out there, but yeah, it was crazy. It was fun. Um, I would recommend it to most businesses um, to go through the experience because at the very least, like we learned a ton. Yeah. What, what, would, what would some of the cons be of going on Shark Tank? 
Uh, just control. Like a lot of what I think that we've done well early on is just controlled our narrative, controlled our story. Um, we, you know, even press, um, we were like, when we launched our Kickstarter campaign, we were able, able to reach out to a lot of press um, and just kind of set the narrative, right? Whereas Shark Tank, they can kind of frame your, like, you can talk, you can say whatever you I want, see. but they can yeah, really frame it however they want. Um, and so the second you lose control, the second that your story can kind of get spun. Um, and so that's what we loved about Kickstarter too, is we were able to start the narrative with a lot of control over like, this is how we want people to think of us as like the chocolate milk revolution, like the next wave of chocolate milk, um, versus, you know, just a couple of knuckleheads from the burbs of Boston that just love chocolate milk, <laughs> uh, which is part of the story, but I think it's the bigger right. picture of repositioning chocolate milk. And I think that you know, Shark Tank, it, the way that it was, um, the episode was edited together. I'm not sure that came through, uh, but I don't think it really spun off from our story and what we're trying to do and the way we want people to think of us. Okay. Walk me through like the process of what it actually takes to get on the show. I would imagine it's like, I mean, not many businesses get selected. So what's that whole pro like that vetting process like? So we're still on a non-disclosure agreement with the show. Um, So there's some things that we're not allowed to talk about, but um, I'm pretty sure the producer has said publicly that I think they get 40,000 to 50,000 applications per year. Um, but they do have people that reach out to companies um, that they think are going to be a good fit. And so um, after our Kickstarter video, um, we were in, co- we, we were in contact with Shark Tank and um, you know, one thing just led to another and they just kind of walked us through the steps. Like they helped us through the steps, you know, once they find, a company they think is a good fit. I think they do a great job of kind of handholding them and guiding them through. And it was a lot of just following directions and just okay. getting on stage to the next, to the next. And then before we knew it, we're walking out and uh, <laughs> there's Mr. Wonderful's big bald head. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. One thing that's crazy about the show and very different from if you were to like pitch in front of traditional VC investors is that the sharks know nothing about the company or entrepreneurs that are going to pitch to them, right? Correct. So they don't know anything at all. Um, I'm pretty sure they're not allowed to know anything um, or else I don't think they'd allow you on the show. Um, that might be a rumor, but yeah, they know nothing at all. Like when you know, we pitch to VCs, they've usually seen a deck or at least someone on their team has, has prepped the partners or whomever is going to be in the meeting um, because they have to accept the meeting. The sharks, you know, some of the sharks have, no interest in investing in certain types of businesses and you're still out there. So that's why going in, we knew which sharks we thought would be a good fit for us um, based on their, their backgrounds and their contacts and how they could, they add value to the business. Um, But yeah, it's much different than a VC pitch. Mm -hmm. So how did you approach kind of approach it and your pitch knowing that kind of high level? Yeah. So the pitch, uh, we try to keep it short and sweet, give the story. Um, you know, our value prop is the better for you chocolate milk angle. Everyone loves chocolate milk. No one's really doing it. So we tried to uh, just squeeze that all. And I think we tried to get it to about 90 seconds. Um, keep it short and sweet. Bring, in, bring the energy. Make people laugh. Everyone loves to laugh. We try to involve humor as much as we can without being, like, silly. Right. Um, but, yeah, that was it was just go out there, tell the story. Here's who we are. Here's what we're doing. And uh, here's how we're different. And, you know, now what we, we like to do is let the product do a lot of the talking when we, when we talk to investors and whatnot, because um, we've gotten a lot of great feedback on the product. Um, but, you know, if, if, if you don't like the product, then you got to love the story. Because, you know, like if I was going to invest in something, I wouldn't invest in a product I didn't like unless I knew it was going to change. Um, you know, you got to be right. behind something with passion. So, uh, but no, again, it was an awesome experience. Yeah, that's great what are kind of the biggest lessons learned and or takeaways for you from that whole experience? Um, well, I think it just reminded us that not everyone's the right fit. I think Josh and I are both competitive guys. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of the people in the startup space are competitive. They want to win. They want everyone to love your product. Um, especially it's something, you know, we put at that point a year and a half already into and it just got the, the sharks didn't like it. And mm-hmm. I think it just reminds you it's, it's not the right fit for everyone. Like everyone's not going to love what you're doing. Um, and that's, that's fine. Like you're going to continue to improve, especially as you're getting going, you're going to get a lot of negative feedback. 
this negative feedback just happened to get seen by 3 million people. <laughs> uh, but like, what are you going to do? Like it's, right. it just reminds you to, to stay focused on what you're doing. Remember why you're doing it. Remember the end goal and they're going to be bumps in the road and you can you know, turn around or you can just keep going and keep barreling forward and uh, just spin it positively and learn from it and find a way for any, negative feedback, negative anything to, to benefit the business because everything, whether it's positive or negative, you can soak in, sponge in, find a way to help it positively contribute to the growth of the business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So is there anything that you wished you would have done differently? I mean, uh, it's hard to look back like with regrets because in the moment we did the best we could. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, uh, the way without getting into the editing too much, but um, we should have pressured them to drink the classic first. Um, right. This was, was probably one of the, the things that we, if we could change one thing, I think we would have found a way um, to, to have them drink the classic first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that would be instead of the dark chocolate for, for yeah, people yeah, listening yeah. who haven't, seen, who haven't yeah. seen, seen the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So let's get into your background a bit now. So where did you grow up? Uh, from Wellesley, Massachusetts, right outside Boston. Okay. Always been New England. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm never <laughs> leaving. There's something about this state, man. It just kind of sucks you in. So I went, I grew up in Wellesley. I went to Northeastern University in Boston. Um, now I live in Boston. Uh, my co-founder, Josh, grew up in Westwood, Mass, went to Northeastern and now lives in Boston. And, uh, yeah, just huge Pats fans, huge C's, B's, socks, all the above. Uh, just, just a couple of Boston dudes. <laughs> just really true Boston-based startup. Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, have you always been a really like entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial person? Like, were you the kid who was always starting lemonade stands? Like, had a journal of business ideas you write down? Uh, business ideas, yes. So, lemonade stands, no. Okay. Uh, it was for me. It was less like just thinking about entrepreneurship or being an entrepreneur, like I think there are a lot of different ways that people think about it, define it. Um, I just liked creating things and like being a part of a team. So like growing up, I was a, like, I, like I was, I was on Shark Tank. I wore a shirt that said high school athlete, right? Like yeah, my whole that. life, <laughs> whole life until college was sports. Um, and then like I tore everything in my knee my freshman year of college and then got involved in other things. But um, it's just being a part of a team and like, working together with people to try to win or like be the best at something was just like what I loved. Um, and then in college I was on in a community service organization a fraternity where I was like a VP of both. Um, and just like being a part of that and just wanting it to be the best was just what it, like excited me because mm-hmm. my whole life, like passion was sports, right. It was just like teamwork and stuff like that. And then um, just wanting to win with, with, with my teammates. And then in college is like the same thing, like with my, my organizations. And then, after um i just kind of like kept like had the bug like just like wanted to be a part of a team and like help it grow um right. and that's that's kind of just my background and yeah i had like a like the notes of ideas in my phone um uh, just like a list of problems that i would run into and uh i just like remember texting my buddies like in a group chat like years ago of like dude why has no one made a, an adult chocolate milk <laughs> um, yeah, I was there. It was one of the ideas. It was like I was drinking lactose-free chocolate milk meant for kids, and right. it was super high in sugar. And I was guzzling it, and it was like high in calories. And I couldn't buy it online, and it was just a problem. Like every business is just solving a problem. Yeah, yeah. And so, was there like, was there like a particular moment, like when you realized that entrepreneurship and starting a business was something that you really like seriously wanted to pursue instead of, I don't know, say take kind of the this maybe the safe quote unquote corporate job that maybe many of your classmates kind of yeah. went into. I mean, I knew I couldn't sit in an office. Like so okay. Northeastern, I worked a couple internships and like I was in an office, I was just miserable. Like I just like had to be like doing something and I don't know. But so after college, I actually started my first startup called Repper. That was a, a brand ambassador platform that uh, connected college students and um, brands. And okay. so did that for about a year, a year plus and learned, that's where I learned about startups. Like that was like during like the, like the app bubble more or less, um, where like apps were popping off. 
Um, and like, it was me, my older brother was my co-founder. We had seven engineers in India. Um, like we raised a little bit of money just from friends and family, like kept it very small. Um, and then realized uh, about a year and a year and a half, year, year and a half in, like it wasn't going to be what we wanted to be. Um, and then, so we were actually in a point where we could actually sell the assets to an agency. So we did that. Um, and then both got involved in other things. And, um, that's where I learned about fundraising. That's where I learned about like convertible notes, equity rounds, like just how to start a business. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I met Josh was through my first tech company. He was also in the tech startup space. And, uh, we just like kind of just like started shooting the shit, talking about ideas like here and there, just like things flowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we both knew probably like six months before Slate started. Like we both knew like where we were wasn't our end game. Um, and, uh, just, you know, one day just tossed him a deck. Like at, it was, I think it was October, October 5, 2017. And it was just an idea for a chocolate milk company. I was like, let me know what you think. And we just got coffee and he was like, I'm not getting in food. And I just like sold him about the opportunity. And then you now here we are two and a half years later. That's great. So for you, it was just like, you just couldn't stand like sitting at a desk and I don't know, typing away, staring at a computer like nine to five. So it wasn't your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was also like a communications major. So and I, I still don't really know what that is. <laughs> like, I just like, what like drove me was again, like my organizations on campus, like planning things, like, like, like recruitment, like getting people to join the community service organization, like planning, like social, like whatever it was, like, that's what drove me. Like, that's what I was passionate about. And that, that's where I realized like I excelled was when mm-hmm. I was like really into something and passionate about something. I'm like helping it grow. Um, so the corporate thing, like I, I never even really considered it. Like I just knew it wouldn't be the right fit. And I had a ton of support from my family, just like fully, like whatever I want to do, like yeah. follow your passion, like go after it. Um, like they're like, they're just super supportive, mm-hmm. um, which has been awesome. Like I, I know that there are plenty of people out there that want to make a leap and just don't have the support system um, and feel as though, you know, this, they should be doing what they're doing. And I just feel so fortunate to like have the people around me that have always supported me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And super important. Yeah. And so did you ever, did you ever really feel that pressure to take the safe route? No. Maybe outside of family or no? He just no. awesome. I mean, like, like just, just from like our people around me. No, not really. Um, I just, you know, the way that I think about it is I just wanted to be on the right track. Like if they're like hundreds of like train tracks, like all lined up in parallel, yeah. Like, how, like it didn't matter how far down the track I was. I just wanted to be on the right track mm-hmm. um, because then eventually like I would like hit go and go, you know, but like if I was on the wrong track, then like I'd have to like go back to the base and like change tracks. So like, I just didn't want to go like miles in the wrong direction, if that makes sense metaphorically. So that's why like, yeah, people's like careers were advancing past mine. People's careers are always at different points. Like I know sure. people in their late twenties that are like going back to vet school. Like it's, it's whatever you got to do like what makes you happy. Cause that's, what's going to like, that's what you'll excel at. You'll, like you'll contribute most to the world. If you find a career you're passionate about, um, and just be like, try to become the best at that. Cause then you'll push the entire like industry or category. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. There are definitely too many. And I know a lot of people like this, they kind of get to like their late twenties and then that's when they finally like pick their head up and realize that they've been on the wrong path all this time. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, and mm-hmm. some people, like, even if you're not extremely passionate about your career, there's so many other things to be passionate about and, like, contribute to. Um, I think there's, there are some people that are fortunate enough to do it with their careers. And some people, you know, their career is, you know, the, the nine to five. And that's what they want to do. And I have a ton of respect for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of, of work, you just find other passions and you live your life with a smile, you know? Right. Yeah. And so getting into slate was the the idea that sparked it was when you were drinking the was the the kids lactose free chocolate milk is that when that idea really yeah so i mean like it's my whole life like i'd come home from football practice in high school and i'd eat a a beautifully cooked dinner and a tall glass of chocolate milk that's lactose free like it was just like okay that's that's what i always did and that's what my co-founder josh did as well we just always drinking chocolate milk we just liked the taste and um it is naturally high in protein, which is great. Um, but the, the, 
I don't even know if there was like an aha moment. Like it's always kind of been there. Um, but it's just finally at some point, you know, Josh and I were both in tech and we both just wanted to create something we could hold. Um, tech takes a while to like get it in the market to develop. Um, and I've always kind of been involved in sports and fitness. Um, and yeah, so it's, uh, that's just kind of how it happened. Yeah. And maybe for the people, people listening, provide a kind of brief overview of the company. Yeah, so Slate's a, it's a lower sugar, higher protein line of lactose-free chocolate milks. Um, so we're in 12-ounce aluminum sleek cans, um, so 100% recyclable cans, all natural ingredients, and we are shelf-stable, so we can ship online. Um, so we actually combine the ultra-filtration process, so we actually filter out milk's natural lactose sugars and a little bit of water. So what we're left with is this base that's like – slightly condensed you can't taste it but that's why it has more protein and it's more okay. or less like sugar free um and then we build that back up using a little bit of monk fruit a little bit of cane sugar um and natural flavors so that's how our chocolate milk our chocolate milks actually have 50 percent less sugar than white milk um because we're filtering out the natural sugars um and yeah it's a great post-workout uh it can be a, just a great healthy snack a casein protein which is uh, about 85% of the protein in milk. So milk's about 85% casein, 15% whey. Casein's a slow-releasing protein, so you actually feel full for longer, so it can help with satiety as well. Um, but yeah, it's uh, three flavors, classic chocolate, dark chocolate, and espresso chocolate. The espresso has two shots of espresso in there, um, and it's, uh, it's, it's been a good start. It's year one. Again, we're not even done with year one. Um, always trying to improve. We have expansion plans. Right now we're in about 400 grocery stores. Um, should be in another 250 to 300 um, within probably the next three or four months. Um, and it's big in the, the sports world. I actually just got a, a notification that Kendrick Bourne, a whiteout for the, uh, the 49ers, just posted about us. Like we've had uh, oh, cool. Charlie Puth. Yeah, we've had like Charlie Puth, um, the artist, and Zed. Like both love it. Um, so we got it in their hands and we're just trying to spread the word and you know, people love chocolate milk. It's healthier <laughs> and, uh, it's lactose free. So it doesn't hurt people's stomachs. Yeah. That's awesome. And so what was the, the main reason behind starting the, the Kickstarter campaign and, and why'd you set the goal at 10, 10,000? Yeah. So Kickstarter, I was again, like, this was all, this was all JB. This was all Josh Belinsky. Okay. Uh, because I was, uh, I wasn't like huge on it. Um, I just didn't know much about it. And Josh actually in college had a small energy bar company that he helped start and they did a Kickstarter and it, like they ended up in like Oprah's magazine. Like it was great. And, uh, awesome. so he just kind of sold me on it. Um, and we realized that it would just be a great like little validation source, see mm -hmm. if people actually wanted it. And we said at 10 K cause that's pretty much what we needed just to like get things off the ground at the time. Um, and we just threw it up there, not knowing what to expect. We threw a party at the, uh, the bell and hand in Boston, okay. our little Kickstarter <laughs> party. We did about five G's at that party. The first day we did about 10 K in pre-sales. We were on Kickstarter's homepage, um, got in a handful of media outlets and realized that what we were doing, people actually wanted. And that was pretty exciting. It was our first stamp of validation. And, uh, it's, it's really what set things in motion. Uh, we yeah. actually, so the now former president of the regional Whole Foods in North Atlantic, like Northeast or New England area of Whole Foods actually reached out from the video. Now she's an advisor to us. Um, and just, it was just a huge piece of the story. Like one of the first dominoes that fell over. Right. Right. And so you ultimately you five X or more than five X your, your goal. Yeah, we did about 5X our goal, um, which was great. And again, we didn't really advertise. There's some companies that take the route of putting up a Kickstarter and then putting a lot of digital behind it. Um, and I th it's a great strategy. I think we, we, or we, we heavily considered that um, just to get the word out about what we're doing, try to drive some more pre-sales. But ours is more or less all organic, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and really allowed us to understand that people, what we're doing, people wanted. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And so how, how did you come up with the, the idea for the Kickstarter video? Like the actual video, like when you were like <laughs> interrogating a glass of chocolate yeah. milk. <laughs> so I, we had all these ideas, right? And then um, 
a couple of my my buddies actually i was just like they're they're in the creative space um they told me to just write a pop-up speech like for myself and <laughs> then i just like i literally just poured out a glass of chocolate milk and just started yelling at it and like writing down what i was saying <laughs> and it was super long um but it was just came out as like my first emotion was anger and they're like write a pump-up speech about like why like why you're starting slate and then like it just like the words started flowing out like this is why i'm doing this like this is genuinely why i'm doing this because i'm very frustrated that slate doesn't exist like i I now drink at least two slates a day like true story Um, (laughs) but that's uh it's just really how it happened is i I literally just yelled at a glass of chocolate milk wrote it down and we filmed it (laughs) (laughs) that's great yeah and um so what's, uh, I guess, wrong with traditional chocolate milk that Slate solves or is aiming to solve? Yeah, so um, we actually, we literally on a whiteboard in my old apartment, we threw up a whiteboard in my living room. We wrote down all of the problems with chocolate milk. Like why isn't every single person drinking chocolate milk? Because they should be because it's an awesome drink. <laughs> so it's, we, we had it's too high in sugar. Um, it's not enough protein to be a post-workout. It's meant for kids. It hurts people's stomachs. Uh, it spoils too quickly, and you can't buy it online. And so one by one, we just started crossing off everything. Um, and it's like literally, I think it's literally in our Kickstarter video at some point. You can see like the list. And then the one thing that we couldn't like cross out was veganism. Like again, we love like have a ton of respect for passion and people that don't consume animal products. We're just not the right product for you. There's a ton of innovation mm-hmm. in plant-based dairy there's oat milks almond milks like i think oatly just raised 200 million dollars like they're gonna make an even bigger splash um but we are meant for the people that enjoy real dairy that want the high protein that like the smoothness of real dairy Um, we use 30 family-owned farms um whom we've met a handful of our farmers um i know there have been a lot of issues with with animal welfare um we have a a team that goes to our our farms very often um so you know the sugar content the brands the protein content the sustainability of the package. Like, again, it's literally everything that people thought were wrong with milk. We wanted to change. And that's why we're slate. Like we set out to give chocolate milk a clean slate. Like it just kind of needed a reboot in our minds, especially mm-hmm. for the adult market. Um, and that's, our, that's our goal is in five years, we want people like right now, chocolate milk, like we joke about it. Like I walked down the street with this shirt and people kind of chuckle. They should. So it's a shirt that says chocolate milk, but we want <laughs> people to think about chocolate milk differently. Like it's not just a high sugar kids drink. It's just a great tasting beverage um, that can be a post-workout um, that isn't going to destroy your stomach with lactose and isn't too high in sugar. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I know that that, that was going to answer my follow-up question was kind of how you're, how you're differentiating slate from other non-dairy alternatives like, like the oat milks, the almond milks, and the coconut milks. Yeah, so those, um, those are lactose-free, but those don't have the same amount of protein. So mm-hmm. pea protein is a thing, like pea-based protein. Um, a lot of companies leveraging it personally um, it doesn't really agree with me and the taste for us isn't something we enjoy uh, again mm-hmm. a lot of people are, are, are using it I think there's a lot of companies that do it very well um, but for us we thought that our opportunity was in real dairy um, because the cow's milk market is still you know 10x the size of the um, non-dairy market and so again we just wanted to make that market better right right yeah one thing that I'm trying to wrap my head around is the actual demand for a healthy, low sugar chocolate milk alternative. I would think that a lot of the population views kind of chocolate milk as a treat and because of this, because of that is fine with the high sugar content. Have you found that that's not the case for a lot of people? So we wanted to create a chocolate milk we could drink every day. Um, so, you know, if someone's drinking a, a high sugar kid's chocolate milk once every 10 days, they might not be our consumer. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if they, if they want that and if they enjoy that, like they might not make the switch and that's fine. I think our idea is we want people to be drinking slate every day. Like we want, okay. I would rather, I would rather have you know, 10 people dr- drinking slate every day than a hundred people drinking slate twice ever. Um, so what we're trying to find are the people that are looking to incorporate us into their routine, whether that's breakfast, a lot of people consume us as breakfast, I see. Uh, the, th- the 3 PM espresso, the post-workout. Um, so while we are a lower sugar chocolate milk, we're also, we're just a functional beverage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the way to get involved in someone's routine is to create something that they can, that's part of their routine, 
right? And that they need um, once they have it. And so for us, the fact that we are high in protein, um, we do taste great. And again, we can have, help people feel full um, is how we've been able to penetrate people's routine. Right. Okay. And so is there like a, like a particular market then that you're kind of targeting, like a demographic? Yeah. So we, we call it the active millennial uh, is kind of who we're hyper-targeting you know, anywhere from 21 to 39 exercises, like two to four times a week. Um, they're not trying to bench 350 pounds like me in college who are probably going <laughs> to go for the, the, the protein powders. But again, just healthy minded individuals. Um, I think that that is where like, even just if you look at our brand, that's kind of who it's meant for. It's, we kind of have this athleisure brand. It's kind of evolving into this um, like Lulu-esque soul cycle, but a little more gender neutral style brand. It's very minimalistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't, we don't have big splashing on there. Uh, we just say what we are, what's in it. And the consumer can choose whether they want to consume it or not. But that's, um, you know, we're, we're very heavy on Instagram and Facebook. Um, that's where we acquire a lot of our customers. That's where a lot of people are hearing about us. Um, so that's where we're growing our, our brand and our target demo is, is on Instagram every day. Um, so it kind of pairs nicely. Right. Right. And so what are the, the biggest challenges facing your company as you look to scale over the next few years? Biggest challenges. I mean, I think with any startup, it's, it's a, uh, it's a speed thing, right? It's, I think we want to make sure that we're growing, not growing too quickly, not growing too slowly. Um, I think we have a lot of great people behind us that have grown successful food companies in the past that help with that. Um, and then I think it's all just continuing to continuously improving the products that exist. Um, like we hit the market and we've gotten awesome feedback, but we're going to always try to make all of our products better. Um, but in terms of challenges, I think, you know, just the unknowns with COVID, because again, we are mm-hmm. a grocery brand, um, that's out of our control, which is something that, um, we just kind of have to accept. But what's great about online is we have a lot of control about our digital spend um, and we can really control our inventory through uh, social advertising, knowing how much we're putting into our digital spend, knowing how much in return we're expecting to sell through that digital spend. Um, so that's what's great about having a product you can sell online. It does kind of allow you to control inventory and sales a little bit more. Um, but I think the biggest challenge probably would be um, knowing how quickly to scale in store with the unknowns of COVID. Right. And how about like the challenge of selling like a, a beverage online? Like to me, that's, that seems a little weird, like to, to buy, I don't know, like a pack of chocolate milk online and have it shipped. What's like, is there like a kind of mental challenge there that you're trying to uncover Definitely. if that makes sense? Yeah, I think, I just don't think that uh, selling beverages online has really been, uh, I mean, no one's perfected it. Like, like mm-hmm. if there was a handbook on how to do it, we'd all be doing it. Um, I think that people are starting to be a little bit more open to it just because it's what's best for everyone, us and the consumer to send it to their doorstep because we don't want to leave our homes right now. We're getting a whole new type of consumer that's coming in and ordering products online that have never ordered online before because they don't want to leave their homes. Um, But yeah, no, I think that what we really try to do is drive trial however you can, because if people, if someone drinks slate, most of the time they love it. If they don't like it, you know, they're, we're not trying to sell them anyways. We want to find the people that love slate and then offer them deals, make sure they get the product as inexpensively as possible. And as, as often as possible, uh, really going deep on the people that love us. And the way to do that is to get the product in someone's hands, have them try it and be like, shit, I need this. I need more of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think the impulse purchases haven't yet been perfected online. I think that the entire D to C industry, especially when it comes to CPG has a long way to go. But um, I think that, as we grow, you know, we're already seeing, starting to see more and more companies with unique ideas on ways to get single beverages, like single cans or, or one serving into people's hands. And I think that that has to be the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And how, how has it been for you to, to um, or how's progress been in finding the right taste for uh, of Slate? I know that in Shark Tank, like, was there like yeah. a moment in the past year kind of when you really made progress in terms of the taste in terms of the taste uh i mean it it taste is so subjective right like you could ask mm-hmm. them you could ask 100 people and they could all love it you could throw it in the market and everyone hates it like it's just <laughs> it's very very difficult and i think when josh and i realized that we had a product that was ready for the market is we didn't have anything that would help it improve 
like I couldn't give notes on change this taste wise. Mm -hmm. Like nutritionally, we have our specs, we have our goals, but taste wise, I couldn't say do that, like change this, lower that, up this, lower. That. Like we didn't have any feedback that would help it improve. So at that point, it's got to be up to the market to tell us. Um, and I think that's kind of how we think about things is if we don't have feedback from our team, from the people that, that we trust to give us good feedback, um, if it's just a great product, could it be better? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like who's <laughs> to say, like some people love it. Some people don't. Um, I'd say the majority of people love our products, which is fantastic. But when it comes to taste, that's, that's how we, we kind of think about things is, is there anything we can change to make it better? And if the answer is no, just fire away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so has there been any like significant feedback that you've gotten recently or over the past year in terms of the taste from the market since you've kind of gotten a little bit more yeah. off the ground? Been, or? I'd say it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, mm -hmm. I think that the, there are still plenty of consumers that don't like the taste of monk fruit. Uh, monk fruit. So we use monk fruit as a sweetener. Um, it's a sweet fruit from China. It's a replacement for sugar. Um, it's all natural, but um, you know, most people can't taste an aftertaste. I think that there are a handful of, of individuals that can taste the difference between you know, monk fruit, which equates to zero grams of sugar and gives you that sweetness to 50 grams of sugar and just aren't ready to make that leap, which is, which is totally fine. You know, mm -hmm. again, you like what you like, you don't, you don't. Um, but I think as time goes on, I think we're going to see more and more products start to use things like monk fruit. Um, more and more people start to like their taste buds start to change a little bit and um, start to block that aftertaste um, that some people taste, but most people don't. And um, I think it's going to be great for, for all of us because mm -hmm. we're, we're lowering calories, we're lowering sugar, which we know is terrible for us. Um, and I think that's probably been our biggest point of feedback is just people that aren't yet ready for monk fruit. But again, then our product's not, not for you right now, which is fine. Sure. Again, we want to find the people that love the products. Yeah, right. So what's your ultimate vision for, for Slate? I mean, I, I think we just want everyone in this country who wants to drink a chocolate milk every day to be able to drink Slate every day. Like, we want to be the team that repositioned chocolate milk, that changed mm. the way that people drink about chocolate milk, that allowed, enabled everyone to be able to drink chocolate milk every day. It's something that makes people smile. It's nostalgic. Um, it's, it's high in protein. Actually, incorporating into your diet for many people may, may improve their diets. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely improved mine. Um, and I think that's our end goal. And, um, we, we got some innovation coming in the pipeline too, that, that we're pretty excited about. Um, but I think it's, it's just offering everyone a better version of what exists, not just a, a different brand, not just a, a different label, but a better version that actually improves their diets and their lives, um, while still tasting great. And I, that's what really drives us is the idea. So we can really, we can, we can change the, we can change the entire product, right? And no one's really done that for chocolate milk yet. Um, it's kind of silly. Um, the fact, again, the fact that it's chocolate milk, people <laughs> kind of chuckle about it. We, I think whenever we talk about chocolate milk in an investor meeting, everyone just kind of chuckles and it's, and again, it's chocolate milk. It's, it's kind of funny, but I think that again, that's what drives us, especially you know, from the marketing side of things. It's just fun. It's just fun to, to yeah. have this goal of changing the way people think about something and giving some, everyone a better version of something that doesn't yet exist. Um, and I think that's what drives our entire team and, and our team's awesome. Like people are working long hours. Um, and uh, I think uh, we, we have a bright future ahead of us. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it also almost like a lifestyle brand too. Like a kind of a healthy lifestyle brand too. Definitely. I think that's the goal is uh, we actually, when we think about digital advertising, we look at a lot of apparel brands uh, because they have to win in a lot of apparel brands that, Value prop uh, with products, like there are tons of brands that have a great value prop. Um, but a lot of brands, it's very hard to portray a value prop in a social ad. So a lot of them lean heavily on brand. And so I think that the food and bev industry can learn a lot from what apparel brands do and their creativity. And we take a lot of notes from apparel brands, uh, both big and small, because uh, I think a lot of them do a lot of very creative things when it comes to marketing to capture people's attention. Mm -hmm. Right. So what is your, what does your daily routine look like? And let's do pre pandemic. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's wake up, check my email, call Josh to make sure nothing's on fire. No, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really different every day. It's, you know, pre pandemic, we had an office, but like we were out and about you know, one or two times a week. 
um, just check it on stores. Like we're stocking shelves every once in a while. Uh, we have a full-time field marketing or field sales manager now that's driving around to all our stores in the area. But I mean, every day it's, I'm on the phone with my, uh, my content guy, Nick, I'm on the phone with my community manager, Anna. And then most of the day, all day, every day, it's me and Josh, either talking things through, building decks, sending emails, um, phone calls with potential partners. It's, you know, we're a five, five, the six person team right now. Like we're pr still pretty small and lean. Um, and so we're, you know, me and Josh, I think are still doing, wearing a lot of hats at this point. We enjoy it. It's fun. Um, right. and I think right now it's, it's working for us. Eventually we'll have to scale up a little bit. Um, but I mean, it's, it's the task at hand. It's, it's just, you know, Josh and I kind of work together on most things, um, where he takes retail sales and ops and finance. He spearheads those nice spearhead, uh, e-commerce sales and marketing and brand and innovation. But like we're most things we're just doing together. Like that's just how we operate. Cause we think differently. I think that's what makes us a great team. Um, and yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of aluminum Belinsky time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so bringing this back to the, the name of the podcast, uh, the driving force podcast, what would you say has been your driving force as an entrepreneur? For sleet or for, for just like me personally, uh, personally, I just want to, I just want to contribute something. Like I want to, I want to, I want to do something better than anyone else. I think that's so cool. And I, the mm -hmm. idea of, uh, again, when it comes to slate of creating something better than what I think exists. And I think there are a lot of people out there that have validated this for us starting with Kickstarter. Um, that's just cool. That's just like fun and creating a brand that people want and just like the emails, the messages, the notes of people that, that love the products, like the parents that say, you know, my kids are diabetic and have like, it's, it's really cool. Like it's, mm. we, I think we realized, uh, you know, again, we're, we're only in year one, but I think we realized a couple of months ago, um, pretty early on actually that like it's bigger than just, than just us as people, me and Josh, I think what we're creating is, I think it's been validated that there is a need for it and it's up to us to do it correctly now. Cause we're the ones and leading the ship. We got a great, great investors, advisors, mentors behind us, an unbelievable team that works extremely hard. Um, and I think it's up to all of us to do this correctly. Um, and I think that pre it's not necessarily pressure, but it's a little bit of pressure. And I think that's what we love. I think that's what we enjoy. That's what pushes us to do it well is knowing that we are doing something that people want and need. Um, and it's, it's, it's also just fun. Like I get to wake up and, and try to build a chocolate milk empire. Like what, what more can, <laughs> can any 28 year old ask for? <laughs> yeah. Even the, even the words chocolate milk empire, just, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I guess lastly here to, to wrap up, um, any parting words of wisdom or advice for the aspiring young entrepreneur out there who, who might be listening? They'd like to leave. I mean, you're, you're gonna fail. Like I know you hear it all the time. <laughs> But like, like we, Josh and I think of Shark Tank as like we lost the Super Bowl, and not we lost like 2013 Broncos got smoked, and like again, it wasn't <laughs> necessarily like that terrible. But like, there are gonna be so many times where you make a wrong decision, or you get punched in the mouth, or you're expecting a partner to come through or they don't, and like you hear it all the time. But until you experience it, like you can't prepare for some of that stuff. Like there's literally no way to prepare. And it's like building, in my opinion, building a business is like a game of connect the dots, right? Like you're at a dot and they're like five different dots and you jump to the next one and it, you think it's the right one and it might be the wrong one and you got to jump to another one and you're just kind of like hopping around decision to decision. Mm -hmm. But like your job as the founder and like what you're signing up for is, is to do all the research you can. And again, you don't have to make it right away unless it's time, time pressing, but like your job is to make the decisions to the best of your ability. And when you make the wrong one, which we have plenty of times and we're still trying to make the right ones and like asking people all the time, like, like surrounding ourselves with the right people. Uh, but when you make the wrong one, just, you got to keep barreling forward. And like, that's what you're really signing up for is your job is to get people around you that are way smarter than you is to do everything you can to make the right decision, taking into account data. And also your instinct is going to have to play a role and just continuing to jump dot to dot. And um, again, when you make the wrong one, there's, there's Josh and I, when we make a decision, we, we, uh, we just like text each other NLB, never look back. 
Because once you make one, like there's no going back. You just keep going forward. Right. And then if uh, if you make the wrong one, you just you make it maybe a lateral move or diagonal. But you know NLB never look back. And and you know once you're in it, just just go and go and do it the best you can. And you know with, there's a couple of our investors also invested in what's now like a frozen shrimp bowl company. And they started off as a frozen burger company, and now they're gonna they're doing like millions on millions of sales this year and it's mm-hmm. like it's just it's just once you're in it like you got to believe in yourself and you just find a way to make it work and that's kind of our mentality and um yeah it's, it's all about the people though and what it comes down to is the people around you to support you whether they're in the, in the business like your family um but i mean like josh is is an unbelievable co-founder like it's been awesome i've been so fortunate to to pair up with josh because he's uh he's just a stud he he works very very hard it's it's uh i think we push each other in, in the right ways that's awesome yeah and to be be comfortable with with failure and just keep moving forward you're gonna fail like yeah. you are going to be there is going to be a part in the journey that you are very very uncomfortable because you're going to be at a family dinner and your uncle is going to ask you what you you're doing and you're going to try to explain it and he's going to not really understand it like this this <laughs> didn't happen to me but like there's going to be the, that awkward phase where like, even again, like some of my buddies were like chocolate, you were doing a chocolate milk company. And this was like pre Kickstarter. And so mm-hmm. you gotta, you have to begin like with any race, you have to begin, you know, and there's that stage is very uncomfortable. Um, and it's always going to be a little uncomfortable. Like there's still so many unknowns for us. Like we, we have a long way to go. We have a lot more decisions to make. Um, but I think now we under, like we just understand more uh, about the pro- about the process. Uh, and again, it's just having the right people around you. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Manny, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No problem, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Where, where can people go if they want to learn more about Slate, like website, social media yeah. and everything? So slatemilk.com, S-L-A-T-E milk.com. Uh, we're at Slate Milk on Instagram. And yeah, shoot us follow. And uh, if you want a discount code, we have a text line on there. Just text uh, our community our community manager Anna. She'll shoot you over a discount code. And uh, yeah, we're we're just again can by we say can by can. Just trying to to be the next big beverage company, one can <laughs> at a time. Awesome. And you all can also visit my website chaserosa.com, and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes. Thanks everyone who's listening, and see you next time.